0: In this special edition of the podcast, Aussie artists having their work banned from Wales in the UK. Paul Yor's work is called out for hate speech, and Alan Gerdeka's sculpture of the head and torso of a man is banned from exhibition in Melbourne because it contains, wait for it, nipples. We'll speak to both artists and to Gillian Govern with the Association of Sculptors of Victoria to shed some light and to throw some shade on the entire situation. I'm Tim Stackpole, and this is Inside the Gallery. Okay, so the discussion in the previous podcast with Jill Nickel at the MCA in Sydney certainly will not only ruffle a few feathers, but made for the most listened to podcast in this series. And ironically, in the past few weeks, there's been a couple of the most confounding decisions when it comes to the appropriateness of works for public display. Now, we'll come to the situation that arose most recently in Melbourne shortly. But first, let's examine the situation with Paul Yor's work titled Taste the Feeling. It is a confronting piece, no doubt about that. As designed to expose homophobic hate speech, but the artwork was removed after a complaint was posted on the Welsh-based Moston Gallery's Facebook page, and that said that the artwork spewed homophobic hatred. Other people also complained, and the police had told the gallery the artwork could be seized as evidence of a hate crime. The work, of course, it has been completely misunderstood, and the artist, Paul Yor joins us from the UK via Skype. Paul, first of all, thanks for taking the time to chat. That's uh, my pleasure. Now, this piece of work, uh, we probably should start by describing it, and particularly in your words as well, because I'd love to get your perspective on what it is you have created.
1: Sure. So, the work is called Taste the Feeling, and it's about two meters by two meters. It's a quilt, a quilted applique hmm. textile work uh, comprising. Many found fabrics and reclaimed materials and also different elements of embroidery and needlepoint embellishment with sequins. And it features a vast array of found images and texts, which range from quite innocuous slogans from mass culture. The title itself, for example, is taken from the tagline of Coca-Cola, Taste Mm. the Feeling, which is like a meaningless kind of advertising slogan, I guess, that evokes who knows what. And other elements taken from mass society, including Christian groups, there's images of um, Australian politicians, there's um, a lot of images of from mass-produced items as well as references to uh, art historical reference points specifically from Christian painting.
0: Now, the, the, the things that got you in trouble, though, that got the piece in trouble are the various messages on there, which is it's really difficult to comprehend because basically what you've done is highlighted homophobia and homophobic slurs, I guess, all over this piece of work. But in doing so, the reason why the artwork has been pulled is because it actually does have those homophobic slurs all over it, which you were trying to highlight. I mean, how do you come to terms with that?
1: Yeah, so it's a kind of an absurd situation, Mm. and I would say there's a kind of self-defeating logic to the work anyway because it does borrow so widely from mass society and does mimic society's modality of spectacle and and sort of debased, lowest common denominator sloganeering and and visual excess, those kinds of modalities that we feel bound up in anyway. But the, the inclusion of homophobic language in the work being interpreted as homophobic when it obviously critiques that is I guess a new level for me of realizing a certain situation and culture where almost discourse isn't possible Um, there's such a reactionary knee-jerk kind of culture now that it feels like having a discourse about what it could mean to represent that in an artwork in a highly mediated artwork that's hand sewn you know it's a quilt it's not like I've scrawled that particular phrase on a wall in a very flippant immediate way it's something that's been literally hand stitched you know and there's been no attempt to sort of tease out what are the implications of of connecting materiality and labour to an art historical context and then as a broader reflection of mass society you know However, I do believe there were, there were other contentious issues with the work, though, that maybe weren't divulged as freely by the yeah. galleries, such as the sexual content, and um, I think there were complaints about that as well. So really, in the end, the way that the story was reported versus what actually went on in the local community and who had an issue with it and why, I think uh, right. there's more to it than what was reported about oh, simply sure. gay people were offended by the homophobia in the work because I know for a fact that Many people in the local queer community supported the work because mm. they told me.
0: And I think obviously when you look at it, it, it is highlighting the homophobic slurs. Gays doom nations is some of the things written here. I can see God hates fags as well. You make me sick are some of the things written there. But I was actually surprised, although now I'm not surprised that you've talked about it, that the other representations in the artwork weren't raised as being difficult for the gallery. Uh, there's a caricature here of a guy obviously pleasuring himself, perhaps climaxing as well, which is fairly overt in the piece. But what gets me is that it seems to be so obvious what you're trying to achieve here, and yet the authorities didn't necessarily accept that. I mean, they're taking it at face value rather than as a piece of art.
1: Yeah, so that. I guess that is the most frustrating thing for me. I mean, I I don't mind if people oppose the work or find it challenging or, I mean, even if people are offended by it. I mean, that's all okay, really. I mean, that all still falls within the realm of civilized discourse and debate, you know, sure. that's valid. The next step is what I have a problem with, which is actually censoring or removing an artwork. And and to be honest, that really falls at the feet of the art institution, which to my mind, if they select a work to mm-hmm. show in their gallery, have a responsibility to defend it and yep. to frame it and contextualise it and create discourse and debate to the extent that's required to actually create understandings that are generative around an artwork. It's not good enough to sort of just pretend that they never had anything to do with it and then just remove it. Because one of the most insidious aspects of censorship is is the invisibility. And many people don't think about the implications of that for a queer artist or for a minority. Yeah. Um, people for whom invisibility and uh, silencing has been the dominant mode of oppression for centuries. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the ironic outcome of censoring a work by a queer artist is almost a delegitimizing of queer identity in that space. And I think the implications for the art institution uh, around that are tremendous, you know, far more than just offending, uh, you know, someone in the community who doesn't like a work with A, B or C, you know. Yeah.
0: So yeah. when, where was the tipping point, do you understand, in this particular instance? Was it when the police became involved what, or was it just the public outcry and then the, then the police uh, became interested in it? How did that all come about?
2: Well,
1: again, one of the issues with these types of things is that the opacity of the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to know what the inner workings of these kinds of decision-making processes are because mm-hmm. there's a hesitancy to divulge those types of things because it doesn't suit the PR exercise of the, the institution. So it's hard to know exactly what happened but my understanding is that there were people in the community who maybe got the police involved directly and that the the particular laws here in the UK around so-called hate speech were invoked Mm -hmm. and that perhaps the police even lent on the gallery to remove the work otherwise that they would seize the work as evidence of some type of hate crime and then there would have maybe being a more intensive legal process.
0: But you're the the type of guy who would have been actually the victim of such speech that you've depicted here, am I guessing, right?
1: Well, that's right. I mean, Mm. I'm no stranger to some of the language in the work. I've been called a fag and a poof and whatever, and that's a very common experience for Mm. queer people. But furthermore, the work explicitly addresses the relationship between Christianity and homosexuality, which for me is a very personal thing because I grew up in a Catholic household. Yeah. and the understandings about gender and sexuality that are implicit in Christian theology and quite explicit in Catholic theology are things that I'm very interested in and, and even to the extent where I would provide biblical verse in the artwork to mm. actually cre- create a dialogue around how these things are in uh, conflict with each other you mm. know mm. uh so i mean that's a very it's a very personal story and it's it's my own subjectivity if you like that i'm representing and um for it to be dismissed so sort of callously um, i think demonstrates a great ignorance from patrons who didn't bother to read the explanatory text accompanying the work but also really the, the callousness of the art institution to actually protect themselves above actually doing their job which is to to provide a context for art i guess there's one other thing which is the very clear demonstrable link between a locally funded art space so where the local council's involved Mm. and these types of incidents because it seems well from my experience anyway that there's real there's a real logical pattern when there is local funding involved there are a lot of issues
0: heightened sensitivities
1: yes and and the gallery sort of tenuous funding relationship to the local council is Mm. is always prioritized over say the diversity or the, the of, of their programming, and I think that breeds a natural sort of conservatism.
0: As you say earlier on, I mean, it's quite remarkable that they accepted the piece to start off with. I mean, obviously they understood what you were saying in the piece, and then basically just backed down when the controversy started. Even though, as I said before, it's quite obvious the story you're trying to tell.
1: yeah, as I said that for me that's the most disappointing aspect because I think if the art institution does have a role in society, it is actually to create discourse and to not shy away from showing something that is challenging. I mean yeah. I mean, I think if art has a positive generative role in society, it is actually to explore issues that maybe are challenging and discursive, and that's a very uniquely positive sort of context for genuine debate and dialogue because it is so mediated Mm -hmm. because it is such a it's a a space that sits sort of adjacent to real life in a way you know we know when we enter into a gallery space that we're entering into almost a fictive world where Mm -hmm. images and and forms aren't as they seem they're deliberately constructed and they're made with philosophical ideas in mind. Absolutely. To me, it seems obvious that anything that's placed in that space is at least charged with the implication that it's not real, that it has some kind of thing to say about reality itself.
0: Absolutely, and it's a common theme that we get and we hear in the podcast as well. You're no stranger to controversy in the past as well, but given the experiences that you've had, how does this now influence you in creating art going forward?
1: Look, it definitely is a challenge and it it does uh, certainly make me pause. But something I've said before many times is that artists are sort of for one of a less vulgar description the rectal thermometers of society. <laughs> you know? yes. And yeah. we sort of we it's our job to sort of take the cultural temperature and mm. to sort of tell it like it is, you mm. know. Mm. And and that's uncomfortable for people, you know. Um, yeah. Because people like their life to be you know unchallenged and whatever, and we all that's that's fair we all have suffer from that you know, but we need to be challenged that's part of being alive it's part of being a human being and for me it, it, this kind of experience only really if I could take anything from it, it talks to the to the potency of art, yeah. you know the necessity of art. If it could generate such a strong reaction, even though I see it as inherently negative, having an artwork removed, I think mm. the, the debate's been stifled once the work was removed. But it does at least talk to the fact that art does have some power, even though in this case it was a very self-defeating sort of exercise. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, while I've got you on the line here, you're in the UK. W- what are you doing there at the moment?
1: I'm working in a residency program at the moment called the London Summer Intensive, which is run by the Slade Art School in association with the Camden Arts Centre. So it's a intensive one-month residency with a, a showcase at the Camden Arts Centre. So it's, it's kind of cool.
0: How's their reaction to what you've been through recently with this artwork? Are, are they at all taking pause with perhaps the work you might be turning out or the attention that has been thrust upon them because of what's happened with you
1: well it's really interesting the discussions i've had because there's this kind of you know regionalism and everyone says oh well this would never happen in london and (laughs) and no no one has that kind of problem with the work here because i mean london has its own sort of unique history of artworks that that um, deal with transgression very explicitly you know People have been very quick to point out to me that this is something that is typical of the northern part of the country or yeah. Wales or a regional mm-hmm. area, that that would never happen in the city, which, you know, I'm suspicious of that. But, sure. um, but there has been a lot of support for the work, and I'm showing it in my studio here at Slade at the moment. So um, I've had a lot of good conversations with people about the work.
0: Paul, look, thanks so much for talking with us, and it's uh, it's right on topic at the moment, considering what we've been covering in the podcast and I really appreciate you taking the time way over there in London to speak with us.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure
0: That's a very gracious Paul Yor discussing the removal of his work from a gallery in Wales in the UK not an uncontroversial piece admittedly and and you can see it on Inside the Gallery's Facebook page but a Google search of Paul Yor is likely to uncover the work as well and some more background on the entire situation and in a moment not at all a controversial piece but still too risque for the Melbourne public Pretty much every year, the Association of Sculptors in Victoria holds a public exhibition in a public or corporate space along with their awards program, and this year it's no different. Volunteers in the association hunt for a public space to hold the event and the exhibition, and the installation takes place, an opening shindig is enjoyed, and the sculptors in Victoria receive exposure and some sales. This year, Collins Square hosts the exhibition but felt that certain pieces were not appropriate for display. No nudity, no political statements, no racism or material that expresses extreme hate are acceptable and fair enough. Alan Goetheka was one of the artists who had their work rejected. It's actually an attractive piece, a bronze male bust, pretty much as you would expect, head and torso, except the torso includes the male nipples. Now, to be honest, there's nothing sexually overt about the piece, and with respect, it's actually quite innocuous. It's, It's lovely, in fact. And yet somehow it's been rejected for either nudity, maybe political, racist or expresses extreme hate. We're also going to hear from the association's Gillian Govan in a moment, but first, Alan Goetheke has been good enough to join us on the podcast. You're welcome. When this competition comes about, I mean, obviously it's very important to sculptors your work was to go on display, and then at some point you received an indication that your work was inappropriate for display and, in in fact, inappropriate to enter the competition. How did that unfold for you? How did you learn about that?
3: Um, Well, someone from the association, the president of the association, called me on the phone and told me that, um, to her shock, they'd been informed by the the building, Collins Collins Square, that um, seven works had been banned on the grounds of either nudity or um, political content and they were not allowed to be exhibited in a building. Yeah.
0: yeah, and then you thought, well, hang on a second, my piece doesn't meet any of that criteria, right? Well, that's right.
3: I actually asked the president to check back with them. I said, they must have made a mistake. Mm. Um, could they go back and look at the submitted photo again? And uh, I think something's wrong. But she got back and said, no, it shows nipples, therefore it shows what gender it is, therefore it's, it's, uh, it's banned.
0: That's quite insane, because looking at your piece, I mean, I would suggest it looks very similar to uh, a bust of perhaps what the classics would have done with Julius Caesar, a male torso in there. For that reason, because it is a true representation, that it could be knocked back. I mean, you're probably still trying to process this and understand how that could be.
3: Well... You know, I wrote to the building, um, registered mail. I might add,
0: um,
3: asking them to explain the reasons why the piece was banned. But um, they didn't. They didn't uh, dare to reply. So the decision just remains opaque, and. I mean, it's only left to everybody's imagination to what possible reason it could be and what might be going on in the mind of the person or persons who um, who decided to, to ban the work and the other works. Because they haven't explained it, we don't know.
0: And I mean, you can see certainly online, and, and I've included on now the Facebook page for this podcast, you with your with your sculpture and it's it's difficult to actually understand why anyone would knock it back but in terms of the responsibility that the association has here i mean i guess they're in a difficult position because they have to go cap in hand to corporate supporters to people who will make these spaces available and therefore to a certain extent what they say goes
3: the association has no control over over what the building decides that will be a, you know can be shown and what can't mm-hmm. be shown But the worry is that this kind of extreme censorship has flow-on effects. So there are two parts to this. There's one, there's the exhibition of the works, and then that's controlled by the building. And then the second part of it is the annual competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the irony is that this is my first bronze piece, and two two years ago I um, won a prize at the annual competition and got a cash prize that was donated by another organisation, of a couple of thousand bucks, and that allowed me to to actually have this bronze cast. <laughs> <laughs> it's ironic in that way that this competition allowed this piece to be created, and then it's subsequently been banned. But um, the problem is that the Association of Sculptors then excluded the seven banned works from the annual competition. Uh-huh. And this is a worry because we, we moved from extreme corporate censorship a situation now where we have artists banning the works of other artists, and yeah. again with no explanation about why that's happening. So that that leaves a very a very uneasy feeling.
0: So we're still in the state of of probably discussion here. But have you taken it up with the association as to why, even though your work couldn't be displayed, it was excluded from the competition?
3: Um, yes. You know, we had a, an email dialogue um, going on for a couple of weeks, but um, no, I was just told that, that the works would not be included in the competition and that was the end of the discussion. But, um, and despite asking for a reason, um, I was never given one.
0: When it comes down to looking at exhibition spaces, whether a piece is included or not. I mean, that happens all the time. That's just curatorial in a certain fashion. And sometimes the curator doesn't pass on to the artist why certain piece is included in any exhibition, irrespective of the space, why it's included or not. So we can probably accept that. But as you say, in terms of the association not supporting you when it comes to the competition, I mean, that certainly changes your relationship with the association, I'm guessing, going forward.
3: Well, let's just say I've been very, very surprised and very disappointed.
0: So there's still a bit of a way to go here into perhaps what might unfold. And, of course, at the time of publication and by the time people listen to this podcast, things may have changed. So let's keep that in mind in terms of your relationship, I guess. And in a way, like speaking with Jill Nichol in the previous podcast, that the world does turn and we are in the age of outrage and political correctness. And for whatever reason, even though something is considered or deliberately art – even for that reason, people do become upset and outraged by it.
3: It's it's so mysterious this whole situ- current situation that I don't know that political correctness quite resonates quite rightly with me. You know, like mm. I think that while corporates have the right to exclude anything they wish from their premises, in my view, responsible corporate citizens should be prepared to openly explain and justify their reasons for doing that. And uh, I think. Otherwise, we get to a situation where we have secret censorship. And that mm. silently removes subjects or experiences from the public
0: gaze. And that's the bigger issue, really, isn't
3: it? Well, it is, because people are not even aware that they're being prevented from seeing things. Yeah. You know, it's pretty Orwellian, really.
0: It is disturbing, as you say, Orwellian, in a way, that this type of thinking is going on and that people are not aware of what they're not being allowed to see.
3: Well, it's, I mean, they're quite right. And it's a shock and it's in Australia, which is a liberal democracy. Repressive regimes have always tightly controlled art in an effort to control what people can know and what they can even think. And to think that that's happening in Australia, you know, and we sort of link that also to raids on, on the media, on the ABC and the rest of French journalists, it's uh, it's painting a, a
0: very concerning picture. So in terms of criteria that may be set, you're indicating that there's a lack of transparency there. What needs to change?
3: Well, you know, I think that there could be situations where works can be justifiably excluded from exhibition. For example, works that project hate or prejudice towards groups, but this is a complex thing to deal with. Organisations which make decisions to ban works should, in my opinion, have clear and transparent governance guidelines that are open to all and which are understood and agreed to Mm. by all the members.
0: And that's not happening right now? No. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us.
3: Uh, You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast
0: here. That's Alan Goetheke there, one of the artists whose work has been banned from the Sculptors Exhibition in Victoria. And if you want, you can take a look for yourself at Inside the Gallery Podcast's Facebook page. There's an image of Alan and his sculpture, and I don't think it will be difficult for you to make up your own mind, but there is a bigger picture here. That is the maintaining of the association, the exhibition and the awards, and Gillian Govan is a sculptor herself, a member of the same association and one of a number of volunteers who work on organising the awards. Gillian, thanks for your time. Now, obviously these situations create difficulty for the association, but first give us a bit of history around the Association of Sculptors in Victoria and of these awards.
2: Um, Well, the association goes back to the 1930s, so it's quite a long established association. In doing so, they Uh, just enjoyed each other's company Um, and they formed this dynamic group of multi-skilled artists who were able to get work out to the the community it was it was in the time of the depression and and uh, there wasn't a lot of interest in sculpture apart from commemorative kind of sculptures uh, you know um, busts which I shouldn't probably mention and um, (laughs) uh, memorials and, and that kind of thing so that's how it really started Over the years, the the association's changed its name, it's changed its constitution, and it really wasn't until the 80s that it really got going as a a really good community group. There was a lot of discussion about whether they should just have professional sculptors or what they called associate sculptors. These were people who just wanted to enjoy sculpture. Um, We now have that situation where we do have some professional sculptors, but we do have people who just want to make art we don't sort of restrict our emerging artists to people coming out of school anymore they're people who just want to start making art and enjoy it and it's amazing the skills that they're learning and the mm. work they're putting out. It's it's just mm. fantastic. Mm.
0: So there's quite the foundation there which sure. you're looking to uphold. Yes. But absolutely. the difficulty that's brought you to media attention at the moment as we as we've been discussing through the podcast, is that you have an awards presentation, you have an exhibition. For for some reason you couldn't get the original venue that you wanted. Have I got that right?
2: Well, sort of. We actually have four exhibitions a year. Um right. one's in Herring Island, one's at the Gardener Show, which is absolutely fantastic, it's a huge exhibition, and one at the Tesla Tulip Farm. This one, the annual awards and exhibition, is is the highlight of the year for us because although we do have some non-members in it, they're in a group of under 10-year experience, but we have some really good awards, we have some sponsors that give prizes and so on. Every year, we have a almost every year we have a problem finding a venue. We've been right. we've been from galleries, and that has its own problems in in that you don't get the through traffic that you do in the venues in the city. And that's mm-hmm. why they're really good because you have people who who don't know that they're interested in art and they see things and it, it just they just love it, it just that sure. I mean even where we are now the enthusiasm of the tenants that are walking through is just really great people just love seeing art in their in their environment last year we were at a, a big venue in Burke Place and had been for four years or five years they yeah. were absolutely fantastic so supportive and so on but they are doing renovations and so they did give us good warning that they weren't able to host the exhibition this year. Prior to that we've been to another three or four venues in the Mm -hmm. city. It's always a hard job finding an appropriate place and and people that are prepared to spend that time supporting the arts really and they're usually big companies so it goes sort of down the, the scale from the the big owners of the companies down to their management, down to their events people. Um yeah. so we we usually put in a proposal and Yvonne, the other coordinator, and I have literally walked into it in and out of nearly every building this year trying to <laughs> find a <laughs> find a yep. replacement. It's, believe me, we know every single building in the mm-hmm. city. <laughs> and and some have been really responsive we had a couple that were quite keen and then they decided to do renovations as well um there's always sort of things like the safety issues of um, people walking through the building and again the the um, cultural and um other issues that that the management have to take into account when it's a public place it's it's not a gallery it's not somewhere that people choose to go They go in there because it's a public place or or a working place and they have to – and and so the management has to take into account the people that are seeing the work.
0: And this is where you've walked into this storm. Mm. You've you've found the venue – You've talked about putting the exhibition together. Mm -hmm. The owners of the venue have seen photographs of some of the works Mm. and have drawn a line through them and said, no, I'm sorry, you can't show these in our our space. They're just inappropriate. That's pretty much it, right? Pretty much,
2: yeah. Um, Look, they they saw... Some, well, they had a look at our website from the previous years and agreed that it looked like it was going to be a great exhibitions. On that, mm-hmm. on that website, there were uh, nudes and um, other pieces of work that, I mean, we don't consider there's anything wrong with them. That's what history is about. The history of arts had that forever. Um, yeah. Um, but they do have 22,000 people working in those buildings, and it's the first exhibition they've had. And so I think they probably – Probably took it to extremes. Well, we, most people would say so because the people whose work was was rejected, and anybody we mentioned has thought it's absolutely incredulous the work that they yeah. they did um, reject. However, it is their place, it is their space, mm. and if they thought something, if they didn't like something, they could say we don't want it here. Um, it's just yeah. that the the criteria, and we didn't know the criteria. That uh, would be as harsh as it as it mm. was when we accepted mm. the works so it's it's really difficult because we want to support the people who have been generous enough to give us their space and at the same time support our artists and we we had great discussions about whether we should go ahead with it, but at this stage the ex you know fifty odd people had made their sculptures, their works yes. So it was a case of leveling out and and not punishing the the, the larger number um, yeah. and and upsetting the smaller number, which yes. it's quite emotional to to deal with that kind of thing. Us as oh. coordinators, I mean, we are a- only absolutely. volunteers, and it was it was really really difficult. We have many many sleepless nights and stressful mm. talks over it. Yeah,
0: mm. because you're in a position where I'm guessing in terms of your opening night. You've got that all in place, you've got your guest speakers in place, you've got your invitations out, you've got your press releases done, mm. and then all of a sudden you get served this curveball mm. by the venue mm. saying, unfortunately, there's a handful of items which we don't feel are suitable to be exhibited mm. in our space. Mm. And then what do you do then? I mean, do you throw the whole thing out mm. or do you try and work a compromise? Mm. And I guess that's tr- that's, the, that's the path you've tried to, yeah. to tread.
2: And we didn't make the decision that we did easily. Um, uh, Yvonne and I spent hours on the telephone ringing um, members, the, the people whose work had been rejected and giving them alternatives mm. and offering them to put in different works, which... You know, it's not quite the same because they had made specific works for those awards and so on. So we understand that too. We discussed with our judge and the, um, our committee just so many people and, and the consensus was that we should go ahead with it. So um, yeah. whatever we individually thought, one way or the other, it was the consensus of the association. And, and we would never want people to think that we as an association would censor work Unless and yeah, okay. we, we've got our own criteria and and that's the other thing as well when the artists put their work in put their entry in they do sign a terms and conditions agreement that some work may be rejected either by us or by the venue right so that's it's all it's not just done it's not just you know people say well, we can't put that in um, it, they've signed to say that they that they will accept those terms.
0: Sure, but you would have to agree that the criteria seems to be a little bit tight, and you've mm. said that yourself. I mean, certainly mm. Alan's work, talking about the busters we did earlier in the podcast, mm. I mean, mm. it's. I mean, honestly, there's, there's Renaissance paintings which are far more revealing than what, what he's created, oh, well, so yeah. you're, you're just as incredulous as everybody else, I'm yeah. guessing, in that instance. However, yeah. the venue makes the call. You have mm. no con- really control over that, and no. I mentioned this to Alan as well, that it's similar to a curation in a gallery mm. where... Some work gets accepted by the curator. Some work doesn't get accepted by the curator. You know, uh, artists are subjected to this all the way through, irrespective of whether it's a public space or a corporate sponsored space or whatever. That's right. The the thing he did raise, however, though, is that he felt that the association was withdrawing the opportunity for his work and others to compete Mm. merely because the items could not be exhibited in Mm. that space. Mm.
2: Mm. Mm. I know. I know. And, and look, we understand that too, and, as I say, we discussed it all and we tried to tried to compromise in the best way we could. We did set up a very small competition for those who did exhibit on the opening night and gave them a small prize. It wasn't compensation. we just wanted to let them know that we do we do understand the situation, and it was just difficult to to work around it really.
0: difficult to navigate, I think entirely, yeah. to be honest.
2: Yeah, uh, and and we're just, um, we're not a big arts corporation. We're not a big, we're just a small group of people who try to support our artists the best we can. I mean, we have sure. we have a, a website and a newsletter that goes out, the, the newsletter goes out regularly every month with all sorts of opportunities that our artists can follow. And, I mean, they're free to exhibit wherever they like, however they like, and as I say, we have our four exhibitions we really, under the circumstances, do the best we can and try to make the right decisions. We can't please everybody all the time. That's the bottom line, really.
0: <laughs> and, and and in terms now, I mean, this is all a learning process for everybody, for the artists, for yourself, for the association, for all the membership. How will your approach change in the future in putting this together? I mean, will you nail down your terms and conditions a lot more, do you think? Or do you think you'll probably find more liberal thinking venues, if that's at all possible?
2: Um, well, we've talked about that and, and obviously once the exhibition's over, the committee will get together and hopefully we might call together a few members as well to help us make decisions about it. We do need to change our terms and conditions. We will also need to find out in greater detail what the terms and conditions of the venue are before we even think about it, before we even call for entries. And this was the problem, really, the entries were all in, so we couldn't do anything about it. But yeah. It's, it's going to be quite a big process to work something out to, to cover everything and every eventuality. But I, I'm hoping and I think that there will be other venues out there that will, whether they've seen this and whether they know about this or not, will support um, what we're trying to do as artists. Um, and, and, I mean, people just love seeing art in their, in their environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yep. would be a shame if we were not allowed to exhibit in some of the bigger foyers and so on because of this incident. That's, that's, I suppose that's our concern, but we're very hopeful that there will be companies, big companies out there that will support
0: us. You know, we can be hopeful. And you're, indeed, you're correct. Putting art in, in our environment is something I think that we do lack to a certain extent in Australia. It does exist, but not to the extent that we see it throughout Europe, where it is just part and parcel of uh, an urban landscape. And we don't have that in Australia. And that's what you're trying to achieve, albeit, unfortunately, amongst hurdles that are put in place by corporate entities who are trying to assist you and then also the reaction of membership which perhaps may not be in total agreement with what unfortunately you have to acquiesce to ultimately but uh, I, I really appreciate your input gillian and um, and the courage it takes as well to actually talk about this in a difficult time
2: thank you thanks
0: that's gillian Govan there managing a tough situation with some of her members artworks from the association of sculptors of victoria being pulled from their major exhibition in melbourne dealing with the venue and some rather tight controls over the works that they will allow within their walls, along with those members whose works have been rejected, although by another standard they're likely to be deemed inoffensive, to be honest. And you can see the pieces which have been discussed in this podcast at our Facebook page. The link can be found at www.insidethegallery.com.au. Thanks to Gillian and to Alan for that discussion, and also to Paul Yor, who we heard earlier. He's in London at the moment. He made some time for us during his residency there. That is the podcast for now. Our next edition coming very soon, we'll take a close look at Sydney Contemporary, that huge fair. It's coming around again. And it does look to be as exciting as ever. But until then, I'm Tim Stackpole reminding you that when you're in the gallery, remove your backpack, OK? Bye-bye for now.